Shows on Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. Time now to hear from Tim Sixworth, MBE. He's the chief exec of a brilliant charity called the Albert Kennedy Trust. They work across the UK helping homeless LGBT youth. I came out to myself when I was probably 14 years old. Mm. So that's a fair few years ago. So I'm <laughs> 51 now. And was there a particular person or incident that made you question your sexuality? Well, I have everything to thank my last girlfriend for, Erica Unsworth. <laughs> and um, Erica was a friend on, on my estate and we were dating and she knew I was gay and I didn't. Anyway, I um, I tried to take my own life when I was a teenager because I was so petrified about what would happen if I came out as gay. In the era of the AIDS crisis, I thought I would die and that, that my parents would desert me. And in all that panic, Erica finally realised what was going on and she... She told me I was gay before I'd even thought about what was going on to me. I've got a lot to thank her for. Wow. And so she realised because you weren't acting like her other boyfriends acted, presumably. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, she just picked up all the signs, the signs, really. And um, I was trying to ignore it for so long. You know, it was the inner turmoil that always starts before you actually go Mm. on to accept yourself and accept who you are. So let's um, sort of place this in a time and a place. So we are in northern England in the early 1980s, are we? Yes, I, I grew up on what was called Dickie Bird Council Estate in Bury, yeah. which was, you know, I felt completely isolated in and um, I just locked myself in my room reading as, as a kid and didn't really have that many friends. My parents were quite elderly when they had me, so I'm, I'm in this world where I felt a lot of isolation. Any shred of exploring who I was was just, you know, hidden away deep in the depths. And that's where I was. And um, nobody to talk to. And Manchester, eight or nine miles away, might as well have been a thousand miles away. So you really felt like you didn't know any other gay people, I guess, at the time. Absolutely. And now it's always ironic when you suddenly you go back to your hometown and you see people scurrying around and think, I went to school with you and you're gay and I had no idea. And it's mm. just it just tinged with a little bit of sadness. You think I could have had a group of mates at school who were LGBT and I had no idea. But because they were going through the same thing that you were going through, presumably, just internalising it and not vocalising it. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting for me, actually, one of the lads that bullied me at school turned out to be gay. I mean, I got horrendously bullied at school, not necessarily because people thought I might be gay, but I just got bullied generally. And he was horrible to me. And I just wonder if he knew, because he certainly was hiding his own sexuality at the time. Oh, God. So what sort of things were you getting bullied for? It wasn't anything to do with sexuality then? Um, Basically being a SWAT, most of it. But also because of where I grew up compared with the people I went to school with. I went to Bury Grammar and for a lad off the council estate that I grew up on, it was just unknown, unheard of. So there was a lot of lot of people who thought I shouldn't be at that school, a lot of people who were peed off about how well I was doing at school and, you know, just really picked on me for that. Plus, you know, all the usual stuff. They picked up on little things in how I was behaving, you know, my bit of flamboyance and stuff mm. like that, and they turned it into reasons to hate me. 
Mm, it's interesting because a lot of people I've spoken to, you know, have gone through that homophobic bullying, but mm. it sounds like it was a bit more broad for you. But mm. still, that does massive psychological damage, doesn't it, for, for quite a long time? Did you find that? Yeah, I mean, I had such low self-worth and self-esteem and without going on to what was happening at home at the moment, it, it was just, I didn't feel I had anywhere to go for support mm. and care. And that's why when I finally made it into Manchester and to the LGBT youth group, it was a completely different. So I suppose I kind of exploded into my sexuality in in my um, mid-teens. Oh, okay. So talk us through the journey from being 14 to then finally going to this LGBT youth group. Was that the first thing you did or did you did you tell anyone you were gay before then? Um, do you know I didn't? The, the, the irony is that, that that age from 14 to 17 and a half, I think, before I went to the youth group, I just hid away. I'd sneak to a bookshop and get a copy of Gay News or whatever it was called then, you know, things like that, look in the listings in Gay Times and do things like that and fantasise about who I could be. Uh, obviously, Channel 4 was taking off with some of their LGBT content, so I was hidden in my bedroom watching the um, LGBT stuff that they were putting out. So I had this completely private world until I got to about 17 and a half. So obviously no boyfriends, it was just... You, you were accessing the LGBT world from your bedroom, but not actually ever vocalising it. No, ab- absolutely not. Obviously, fantasising about a boyfriend and what that might be like and thinking about that. But also, this was all happening while the iceberg was on TV, all that whole world of... Remember the adverts for uh, around um, HIV and AIDS and mm. hearing messages like this? And I was just... I just started to become petrified about... Right, so basically, being gay means you lose your family and you're at risk of HIV infection. That's that's the image I had. And this is what led you to be at risk of suicide then? Yeah, I mean, I attempted to take my own life because I, I couldn't see a future. I couldn't see a way forward. I didn't know where I'd go. I didn't know what I'd do. That's horrific. How old were you then? I think I might have been 15. I knew I, knew I hadn't taken my O-levels at that point, so it was before yeah. I took my O-levels. And the fact that my parents, I mean, my my parents are dead now, but I don't think my parents ever knew about that. So someone rescued you, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, like I said, Erica was Mm. wonderful and helped me see who I was. And um, that was wonderful. So I I suppose, yeah, I did come out to somebody other than LGBT people, and it was Erica. And I always wonder where Erica is now. But, you know... You've not tried to contact her? No, well, she was from (laughs) South Africa, but we just met up you know as you do i'd love to know that'd be really interesting because Mm. she was phenomenal and Mm. she got me through all all that so she was essentially the first person you came out to then yeah and how did she take it she kind of told me i was gay i don't think i (laughs) this is the interesting thing for me i was told somebody came out to me about me coming out if that makes (laughs) sense it was very odd very odd but then really the first sort of proper coming out was 17 and a half going into manchester and going to an lgbt youth group talk us through that well that was that was terrifying Mm. first of all i said to my parents i was going to meet up with my girlfriend who they'd never met in manchester so every tuesday evening and every saturday afternoon i was going to meet this fictional girlfriend Um, and that's the thing i think for a lot of lgbt people you Mm. feel like you're having an affair living Mm. a double life and i'd go into manchester and when I went to youth group in Manchester, you had to go down these stairs. So you'd just suddenly see these legs descending into the basement mm. on Bloom Street. The first time I went, I was terrified. In fact, 
I think for the first three or four times, I walked around the building and never went in and ended up shopping in town. When I finally went down, because I I suddenly became a complete introvert in that environment, Mm. and I would sit in a corner and watch all these incredible young people engaging with each other, being really flamboyant, Mm. and I was just sat on my own petrified. And then things changed. I met my Bezzy mates, Gus and Justin, and um, the whole world opened up and changed for me and it was just phenomenal so exciting so that's a quite a nice way of coming out i guess in the sense that you were actually surrounded by other lgbt people i mean it it was fantastic and but i also feel i was a bit of an observer Mm. because they were living the lives i wanted to live so even though i came out and even though i started as an activist with the section 28 rallies in manchester so i was a teenage activist i suppose i was still living my life through them to a certain extent because obviously when i went home i disappeared back in and one of the issues for me is i had to delay going to university um for a year because my dad was dying because he was quite old and i was i was a, a carer for my dad as well my my friends although i invited them back and they came and i'd scurry them up to my bedroom and make sure my mum never met them and then when she did you know she did no idea for a little while who they were but it was this this whole thing about keeping those two lives separate completely Mm. separate and it was almost like i got to be myself and escape with my friends and then just disappear back into my other life at home and when did you get the courage to actually broach that conversation with your parents then? I, I didn't with my dad. No. And this this is my big regret because my dad died. My dad was so poorly when I was a teenager that I couldn't. I was very close to my dad, mm. not to my mum at all. And I just remember my mum saying things to me before I even thought about coming out to her like, do you know what gay stands for? Good as you. And they're just AIDS carrying. They're disgusting, vile people. My mum used to come up with some horrible things about LGBT people. And against that, I just felt I couldn't tell her. Mm. And I think the thing for me about coming out is she made me feel so uncomfortable about it that I didn't actually properly come out to her. I just left home for university. I just went. That was it. I didn't actually say the words properly to her, but she knew because she'd made it very clear what she felt. It was one of those weird conversations you have with your parents where you don't actually have the conversation, you skirt around it, so and you both are very clear on what your position is without actually talking. And she accepted it then, do you think, without, without discussing it? No, she just wasn't interested you know i I always say my mum dabbled with religion and faith Mm. she never really hooked her into a faith she went through different phases with that and but she was very much like this is wrong this is wrong and she put her own moral stance on it and i just felt i had to go and we'd never had a close relationship so i didn't feel i was losing anything really and my brothers and sisters were a lot older than me my brother is 20 years older than me so I didn't feel I could talk to them either. So you didn't ever really come out to anyone in your family? Not really. I just escaped from them and and just set up my other life. And When I look back on that Mm. and I think, should I have done that? Should I have come out to them? I I always remember what happened. Back in 2016, I became critically ill. I went into a coma and they thought I was going to die after some major surgery. And um, my friend Andrew, who's been incredible rock in the last 10 years he he phoned had to phone my sister up and say look the the hospital said 
Tim's probably not going to make it through if you want to come and see, you know, if you want to come down. And she just said, well, tell us when he dies. That's fine when we're not coming down. Oh, my God. He obviously didn't tell me about that when I came out of the coma and he waited a few weeks and then he told me. And part of me was just really upset and really hurt. But then part of me thought, well, you know what? I've not lost anything because you've not been in my life for the last 30 years. What have I lost? Mm. You know, and it just reminded me when I was in hospital, it was like incredible. It was just a stream of LGBT people coming in and out. I think the whole ward were a bit like, it felt like a pride parade on some days. (laughs) You know, different um, people coming in to see me, coming in to look after me. And I I just thought, this is my family. So in a way, in 2016, I looked back on my life. I had a moment to look back on that coming out moment. And I thought, I did it the right way. I ran away from home and created a queer family. And that queer family are the people that are here, and I really need them at this point in my life. So no regrets? I don't know. I I have one regret um, about this whole thing is I wish I had made the most of those late teens, early 20s. Because I went to university and I just went quiet about my sexuality again. And um, just for a few years. And then I came out at the end of university. Yeah, I suppose my only regret is I didn't start to live my life fully as a gay man until I'd left university, really. Well, you've certainly made up for it now, living very out and proud life and running the Albert Kennedy Trust. So how has being out and proud in your work life been? Has that been difficult? Because, you know, as gay people, we come out all the time, don't we? So even if you don't come out to your parents, you're so, kind of coming out to colleagues and friends and acquaintances the whole time, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've I've got 30 years of volunteering or working in the LGBT sector. Mm. I, d- I don't think I could function outside no. the queer bubble that I've put around myself, really, yeah. to a certain extent. And it's really interesting because in my job, I go into environments where they're not LGBT, you know, mainstream charities, organisations, everything. It's a bit of a reality shock to me and a mm. check. And I find myself having to, as you say, come out to people again and again listen to prejudice again and again and it's really interesting i i absolutely love the fact that i get to be passionate about something which is absolutely integrally who i am as a person Mm. so you know that journey that i went on 30 years ago is and i am so privileged that i get to travel with other people going down that journey i love what i do i love that i've worked within lgbt charities for like 23 years now But the thing that does get to me is I face a lot of hate and oppression. I get death threats. I get people being nasty to me because I'm seen as somebody in the LGBT community. You know, I I see as I'm standing up for LGBT people. You've had death threats? Yeah. Why? Over the years, because... I'm the person who takes young people away from their parents as far as they're concerned. I'm the person who turns their children gay. You know, I've I've had that for years. You get all sorts of people who are really misguided mm-hmm. and, and have no sense of understanding around LGBT people and who they are. And they need a focus for that mm-hmm. hate. Mm-hmm. So they look for people like me. And I know I'm not the only LGBT person in a leadership role who, who experiences that, but that's that's where it becomes very personal for me. That's incredible. So, yes, obviously you are the head of the Albert Kennedy Trust that works with young people, helps people out of homelessness, helps them with their lives. 
you must have heard a lot of young people come out to you or just be at the start of their process. Do you think it's something that is getting easier to come out or just no different, really? Do you know, I think it's so difficult to answer that question mm. really simply. Yeah. What I see today is I think that first, yes, there is more support out there. Absolutely. There are places, people who will support you through today which were not in place 30 years ago however I think it's more complicated now mm. because there are so many challenges within society um, because people are coming out in different communities and facing different challenges than they would elsewhere there are people who are coming out because we're, we're diverse in our gender and sexual identities now, there's much more we have to do to bring people on board to understand who we are. So it's not just a case of saying I'm gay, bi, lesbian or trans. It's far more complicated mm. than that, our journeys. And, and people are struggling with that. And I find young people are having to educate people, uh, are facing different challenges. And I think on top of that as well, the coming out process seems to last longer now because once you've come out, you then start to face some challenges that weren't around when I was coming out. So the issues around chemsex, mm -hmm. you know, that that's probably one of the main things, survival sex, you know, the things that young people are having to do to sensibly try to keep themselves safe but these are the challenges they mm. face it's interesting because when i started the podcast i kind of thought gosh is this going to become redundant one day you know coming out stories it seems like it's an old hat thing to have to do to come out and announce your sexuality or gender identity but it's something that we're gonna to have to keep doing don't you think it's important absolutely because i think we we assume that equality under the law means equity and acceptance in society yeah. and it really isn't the case and we're in an age at the moment where there is a lot of right-wing dominance you know the popular movement it has grown so a populist movement has started to grow internationally so the lots of pockets where lgbtqi people are now being persecuted again mm -hmm. as a kind of scapegoat if you like for um, other people's anger and and want in society and that's what that's what worries me i see things moving backwards i mean i i hadn't been faced verbal or physical abuse as a, as a gay man in years then all of a sudden last year I had people screaming obscenities at me in the street and I, I thought I'm just crossing a bloody zebra crossing here and you are shouting homophobic abuse at me I then stopped myself for one second and thought what am I doing to encourage that behavior and I thought why That's, are you blaming yourself? Yeah, why am I blaming myself? Then, obviously, I came up with some expletives of mm. my own, and they just sped off. And I'm always mindful of what a boyfriend once said to me. We got attacked in the street, and I cowered, and I shut my mouth, and I tried to just get through it. Mm -hmm. And he went ballistic with them and then went ballistic with me because he said, how can you do that? Because the next person they may do that, that to may not be able to stand up for themselves. You have just given them permission to do this again and again and again and again. Uh, but I did ju just didn't feel strong enough. But it's very hard and you don't know how you're going to react until it happens to you in the street, I guess. No, no. And, and, and young people say to me, what should I do if I receive homophobic abuse? And I said, you've got to weigh up the context. How mm -hmm. safe are you in that environment? Mm -hmm. Is it you and a gang 
of people against you? Are you with people you feel safe with? Yeah. You've got to weigh up the danger. Yeah, that's what I was Gay people were constantly having to come out and you have to judge each situation, don't you, on its merits and are you safe to come out in that particular time, in that surroundings? It's difficult. I always think it's really interesting and I do this, with, I've done this with some of my um, straight friends, is get them to hold my hand. Yeah, really? Take them somewhere and say, right, hold my hand and give me a kiss on the lips. <laughs> Just see the reaction and tell me, is that the reaction you've had when you're out with your female partner or your male partner? Have you had that? You know, wow. you know, if you had that with your female partner, have you ever experienced that? Just being on the bus, putting your arm around me and mm. giving me a kiss. And this isn't me trying to get lots of straight boys to, uh, you mm. know kiss me but just see the difference just experience that level of uncomfortableness yeah. that you have never experienced kissing your girlfriend and they've done it and how have they felt the weirdest thing it's like it said one of them said it's like a pack of hyenas mm. all these people just turn around and rubberneck you as if you're like you know i don't know having sex on the bus or whatever mm. but I'd, I'd love us to do like a mass walk in my shoes sort of thing where you hold a person's hand of the same sex and you experience what it's like and it's, it's such a simple thing isn't it yeah. holding hands and like putting your arm around someone it's something that straight cis people take for granted i think yeah. Yeah. i mean go to go to a hotel and see a few months ago i went to a hotel with someone and we were we were staying over and they actually said to me oh do you want a room with twin beds mm. now, would they ask a heterosexual couple that would they no. would you ever and i thought are we really still asking that question? Yeah. Assume nothing until somebody says, actually, we want to beds. So all these years down the line, what advice would you give to 14-year-old Tim feeling suicidal at home in Bury? Don't wear those silver pants that I had. I'd say that, Tim, your dress sense. No, <laughs> seriously, what I would say to Tim is you can get through this. All you need are a couple of good friends and some support and honestly you just click on the internet don't go looking for a dating app don't go looking for love mm. don't start there that's not the way to start your journey start yeah. finding a good organization that will give you support where you can meet some friends and start to be safe and you can start to be yourself mm. that's the place to start please don't start with a dating app yeah. start with an organisation and worst case scenario people end up at the AKT don't they because you are you know literally scooping up people who have been rejected by their families so lastly what would be what you would like to say to someone that had rejected their child because of their sexuality or gender identity what's changed you, what you need to ask yourself if your child comes out what's changed really they're still the same person you loved the day before. Mm -hmm. The only thing they've done is be really honest and open with you and tell you something, even though they fear rejection from you and the fears of what they might face outside of the home from other people. Get support for yourself. You don't have to go through this on your own. It's a coming out journey for parents as well as it is for the child. So, you know, there are plenty of organisations like FLAG where you can get help or go to LGBT organisations and ask them what help they can give you. Start to understand before you judge mm. and just remember that you are the most important person in their life and if you don't accept them, they'll never accept themselves. 
massive thank you to Tim for taking time out of his busy day to talk to me at the London headquarters of the Albert Kennedy Trust. I'm still in utter shock that a man like that who does so much good work looking after young people who have been literally thrown out of their homes for being gay or trans has had death threats. Please share his story, please share the podcast and please let's help try and spread a bit of love in the world, yeah? Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you want to find out more about this podcast, perhaps ask us a question or even offer yourself up for an interview. Well, you can follow us at Come Out Stories on Twitter or Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is a What Goes On media production. Next time you'll hear from Patrick, who grew up in Northern Ireland, and he found a really creative way of reclaiming a word from the bullies who tormented him for being gay. There was a word that people would throw at me a lot, which was faggots. And I'd hear it so much growing up that I now take so much power from that word. And now anyone could say God knows what about me, and I don't really care. So, with that being said, I recently bought a necklace that has the word faggot. Uh, in gorgeous curly gold writing, I, I saw it on a, on, a, on this website, a uh, website selling jock straps, and I thought I have to have that. I just think it's fabulous, and I thought I know, this will spark great conversations, and it already has. <laughs>